We're working in, in uh, the book of Genesis, and we've been talking about Abraham, who is called in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the father of faith. It says that Abraham believed God and was counted unto him as righteousness. And, uh, and in, in this, this section that we look at today in chapter 17 of, of the book of Genesis, Abraham is 99 years old and God is... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Time out. Don't run off. No, go ahead. I, I, I messed up. <laughs> My bad. Uh, uh, Abraham's 99, but God at this point tells him that he's going to have another son, and he's going to have a son by his wife, Sarah, who is 90 or 90, uh, 89 at this point. But next year, when she's 90, the next year when he's 100, they will have a child who is Isaac and uh, the father of Jacob, Israel. And so it, 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 it starts out, or in this little section starts out with just the idea that there's no such thing as age for God because God is the one who is himself eternal. Uh, Barnhouse, Donald Gray Barnhouse said, one who is truly a child of God will be carried by him to the end. And in the, the New Testament, it says in, in Philippians 1, 6, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so it's not, it's not just about age. And, and when you get, the promise of God isn't until you get old and, or until you get decrepit. Or it, is, it is forever. God, is, God makes a promise. He's good to it forever. Now you say, well, in, in, the, in the Old Testament... People lived for a long time. I, 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 I looked up when, uh, when Sarah died. She was 127, 126, something like that. But I tell you what, it doesn't matter how long you live. When you're 90, you're old. How many of you are 90? And... <laughs> I hate to tell you, but you're old. If you are 100, you are mortally old. Okay, so it doesn't matter how long you live. Old is old as far as our physical age. But what God does with us isn't limited by our physical bodies and our physical age. And so Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born. And that was, that was by a plan that he and Sarah came up with where they offered, Sarah offered her handmaid, her slave, Egyptian slave, to, to Abraham because God had made the promise that Abraham was going to have a son, that he was going to have a, a heritage and, and his descendants would be like the, the numbers of, of dust particles on the earth and the number of the, sky, the stars in the sky. They were innumerable. And so they said, well, okay, God said that Abraham's going to have a and I have a son, or at that point, Abram, it may be, maybe he, he's not going to have it through Sarah, so she offered her slave. That didn't turn out well, because from him came Ishmael, from that union. And, and even at this point, Abram has, has when, uh, when God comes and says, next year, Isaac's going to be born, we're going to see that Abraham says, but what about Ishmael? I've grown to love him. He's 13 years old now. And... Uh, couldn't you, couldn't you use him? We don't need another son. But God has a plan. God's always going to do what demonstrates that he is God. So let's, let's just start here at verse 1 in, in Genesis chapter 17. If you'd like to look in the Bible, there's some in the back of the, of the pews there, back of the seat. If you're, if, you're, uh, if you're not church folks, when I say pew, that may mean something totally different to you. So I try to remember to say seats, okay? Uh, Abraham was 99 years old. And uh, God's promises are forever. 
and, and in the New Testament, it tells us, Paul, the apostle writes in, in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, sorry, that this treasure that we have is in earthen vessels. This, this relationship with God, this new heart that he gives us when we come into a relationship with him, is in earthen vessels. And these earthen vessels are wearing out. Y'all know that, right? The outward man, he says, is perishing, but the inward man is renewed day by day. And so as we, as we look at this, this Old Testament scripture and this, this thing that, that took place a long time ago, we are reminded that God is still the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he, he says to us that you can be renewed inwardly day by day, even as your old outward body is wearing down. Now, it says here that at 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and he said to him, I'm... God Almighty. The Lord appeared to Abraham. The, the, the original language says that Yehovah. It, that's an uh, anglicization. But it, in that, the reason I bring that name up is because it uses five vowels. And, and that, that's really how you spell it. But writers, to make it pronounceable and, and manageable, added two H's. And so what was our equivalent of I-E-O-U-A has H's put in there to make the name pronounceable and manageable. Now we're going to see the H's are important as we go through this story. Because the, it's, it's like the breath of God. Okay, And we'll, we'll work on that as we go. Now, last week, here it says that, that God appeared to him. Last week, as we were looking at chapter 15, it said that God appeared to him in a vision. So this must have been a different kind of appearance here. This wasn't, an, a, vision, wasn't a vision. This must have been something more substantial, maybe even where he could reach out and, and touch the one who appeared to him. So we know if he appeared on earth that he's not God because God doesn't have a body. I mean, it wasn't just God, but he had limited himself, okay, so that... that He'd be manageable, understandable by Abram. But again, he appeared to him in a way that Abram could understand, so that in a way that Abram could hear from him. Now, here's, here's something we need to keep in mind. That in Abraham's day, or Abram's day before he became Abraham, he, uh, he didn't have the scripture like we do. But God has blessed us over the millennia to have given us his scripture written down in the, in the wilderness. They wrote, God gave, gave Moses the law in a written form. God wrote it with his finger on the tablets. And then it was produced in scrolls and, and manuscripts down through the ages. But man, in our age, and, and from Moses' own, certainly had written scripture. Abraham did not have. And so God appeared to him. Because that was the only option. Couldn't just say, well, drag out your Bible and read it. But to us, he can say, you don't need an appearance. You don't need a vision. You don't need some special way of seeing God because you have God revealed in his word. And the written word of God is readily available to, to those of us here. There are parts of the world where it's hard to, to come by. But for, I'd say everybody here has access to the written word of God. And you can go and find out what God has to say and what he's like by looking at the written word of God. So we don't need visions. Now, that doesn't limit God. He can still appear any way he wants to, but he's given us a day of the written word. Now, another thing about Abraham's time and, and his encounters with God is they were very sporadic. You know, it was 13 years before this, the last time that he heard from God. 
had this vision of God in chapter 15. 13 years later, God appears again sporadic. Now, in our day, again, we have the presence of God in his word. And we also have the presence of God in his Holy Spirit that dwells in us who put our trust in Jesus Christ. So today, the, we, we, we can access God. He can access us at any moment. We can just pick up the word of God. Now, another interesting thing about this, and we haven't gotten out of verse 1 yet, so this could be a long time. The woman read. (laughs) Y'all might miss lunch. But here's the name of God that's revealed at this point. He said, I am God Almighty. The the Hebrew is El Shaddai. And, And now the translation of Shaddai, of course, those of us who... In, in the New Testament time, we get a, get a lot of our stuff from the, from the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the New Testament. And from the Greek, El Shaddai is, is always translated as the, the Lord God Almighty or the Mighty One. Well, in, in Hebrew, it's, it's not quite as clear, but we do know that part of that, that word Shaddai, Shad, is, is a word that describes, was used to describe a mountain or describe a breast. And so what God is saying, for sure, we can say that I am the God upon whom you can lean. I am the God upon whom you can, you can find strength. So I, I, Almighty is a good description of that. And God says to Abram, 99-year-old, God appears to him and he says, I am Almighty God. That's a new name. The title of the sermon is New Names. Here's a new name for God that Abram had never heard before, never understood before, that God is almighty, that he can accomplish what he wants to in, and do it in his people, in his children. Now, now again, let me, let me back up a little bit and, and talk about some things we've learned about Abram and, and his re- relationship to God. As Abram was chosen by God when Abraham wasn't, look, Abram wasn't looking for God. He was in Ur of the, the land of the Chaldeans, and God came and said to him, I want you to move. He just chose Abram. Abram didn't choose him. Now, that's important because what is being said here is that God is not saying, Abraham, you are able to do all things, but I am able to do all things because God is the one who chose him. God is the one who's going to work through him. God is, is the one who, as we, as we said it in Fiddle on the Roof, Tevye one time said, you know, I know we're your chosen people. Couldn't you choose somebody else sometime?" And sometimes that's the way we feel about God working in our lives. But he chose Abraham. He gave Abraham faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, that's important because that's the only way we can relate to God because God is holy. And he said that we'd have to be holy as he is holy if we're going to have fellowship with him. So God is doing this thing in Abram. And here it is important for Abram to understand that God is able to do whatever and once God has said that, revealed his, his new name to him, he's revealed himself in a new way, then with that comes responsibility. And so what he says to Abram is, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Now, here's a problem. Nobody here this morning can be blameless on their own. Now, here's why. Because of history. 
If you started right now and you never did anything from this point on that disappointed God, you never did anything that would, that would be considered uh, evil or wrong, by, not in your thoughts, not in your actions. If you started right now, most of us would be 50 years or better behind the eight ball, right? Because we've got all that baggage that we have brought to this point. So what he is saying to Abram, now, and we know that Abram was a mess up too. Because a couple of weeks ago, we read about him going down into Egypt. Now, when he went down into Egypt, there were a couple of problems. For one thing, God had said, I want you to be here. And Abraham looked around and said, it doesn't look good here. I'm going to go to Egypt. Now, when he went to Egypt, he took Sarah, his beautiful wife, with him. And he said to her, I want you to tell everybody that you're my sister. Because if they think you're my wife, they'll kill me for you. Now, y'all, in any culture, that is a weenie way of operating. For a man to say, I want you to cover for me, pretty woman. Right? And we know that God was not, was pleased, was not pleased with it. And, and the Egyptian leader was, was not pleased with it when he found out that Abraham had tricked him. So we know that Abraham is, not, is, is, is like us. He's a mess up. So he has this baggage. He has this sin that he's dragging along with him. And God says, I want you to be blameless. Well, it's too late. I've already got blame, God. And so God's going to have to do something. It's going to take God to make Abram counted righteous. Now, that is important to understand. That the Almighty God can count us, make us blameless. Despite what we have brought to this point. All right? Despite what we have planned from this point. God can change our account with him. And so what he says to Abram is, I want you to be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and, my, and, and may multiply you greatly. See, God is going to glorify himself. He's not going to just make Abram a famous person who, who's famous because of his faith in God that was counted as righteousness. Counted as righteousness, right? That's that God imputing it, God counting him, God accounting him as righteous. But God is, is going to glorify himself because that's what God does. If you are God, you can do that. That's our problem. That's why our glorifying ourselves never pans out well because there's not anybody here who is God. But God can. And, and what he wants is his glory. And he says, I want to make a covenant between me and you, and I want to multiply you greatly. Now, that's a big thing there. That God doesn't just want to, to, to promote himself, but he also wants to bless Abram, I want to, I'm going to multiply you. Now, he's not just talking about multiplying his descendants. He says, I'm going to do something that makes you more. Okay? That's the, the message of the Bible, that a relationship with God makes us more. And it started way back in Genesis. It's not New Testament stuff. It is forever stuff because God is always the same. And so he says, I'm, I'm going to make you more. Here's, here's my name that, that helps you understand this thing. I have revealed myself at, at, at a couple of chapters back. I have revealed myself over in Ur Chaldees when I called you out. And now I'm revealing myself in a, a, a new way as, as the mighty one who can do what he wants to do, with whom he wants to do it. And you can trust in me. See, back in 15 when he revealed himself, he said to, to Abraham, I'm going to be your, your strength and your nourishment. Right? Uh, and, and, and your 
What was the word? I'm going to make, on your shield and your reward, I'm going to be your reward. Here he's saying, I'm going to be the power that accomplishes things in you. So, in that, there he was worried about kings that he had whooped up on and might come back at him. But here God's just saying, here I have a promise for you, and that is that I'm going to bring an heir from you and from Sarah. So he says, walk before me. Now, now here's, here's another principle for us to get a hold of. When God calls us to do something, he gives us the power to do it. You see how he's relating to Abraham, he says? He says, I, I, I am almighty. I have already counted you as righteous because you have, have believed in me. And now, because I have given you that resource, I've given you that power that's inside of you, I want you to walk blameless. I want you to walk in a way that demonstrates the truth of the blamelessness that I have accounted to you. Right? Act like somebody. Walk, another way of translating is to walk complete, to walk upright, to walk undefiled, to walk whole. So that I can carry out the covenant that I have made with you to multiply you greatly, to have a relationship between us and not just you and me, Abram and God, but between God and the people who come from Abraham. I'm going to multiply you greatly. Now, now consider the, the, uh, the pictures that, that God gave Abraham of, of how he was going to multiply him. He said, I'm, I'm going to make you like the dust of the earth. I'm going to make you like the stars of heaven. Now, that says a couple of things. For one thing, it says that, that like the earth, there's going to be something physical about this blessing that God is giving to Abram. And like, like the heavens, there's going to be something spiritual about it. But another thing that I see here is that Abram, wherever he looks, he's going to be reminded of this promise that God has made. If he's walking along, staring at the ground, he's seeing dust. If he, if he dusts his shoes, takes his sandals off in the evening and, and shakes the dust off of them, he's reminded that God is going to multiply him in a way that, that is innumerable. When he goes out at night and looks up in the stars... And there are no chemical plants and there are no cars making smog. And so the stars up there are just shining through. He's reminded that just like he can't count those stars, nobody's going to be able to count the descendants of Abraham that God is going to bring about by his power. He's blessing Abram and he's blessing his descendants. He's making demands of him, but he's providing the power to carry out those demands. God says, I am Almighty, And then he says, you walk in the power, in my power. Now, we've got a new name for God here, our new understanding of God, an, an additional understanding of God. And Abram is, is impressed, and, and verse 3 says, he fell on his face. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of multitudes of nations. Now, remember this. Abram, who's fixing to become Abraham, is not just the father of, of Israel, but he's the father of the Arabs as well, because Ishmael is his son. So nations, not just a nation, but nations have come out of Abraham. Now, that doesn't mean they're all equally blessed. We're going to see that in a minute. 
But he says this also. You, and, and Abram is, is, impressed, is impressed with God and he falls on his face in worship or in a way of, of praying. It, it shows up again in a few verses. Again, back in 17, he falls on his face. Now, how do you pray? What's the proper position for prayer? You know, because different people have different ideas. Some people think you ought to be down on your knees. Some people think you ought to have your hands like this. Some people think you ought to close your eyes and not close your eyes. It's, in, in this case, it says that Abram fell on his face. And so is that the only way to pray? No, the Bible never says this is the only way to pray. It just says pray. And at this point, this is how Abram was impressed to present himself to God. And so he fell on his face. We don't make a doctrine out of that because we don't have room for one thing. Somebody would be bumping their heads and we'd have to have a healing service too. All right. So now, he says, now, now that's the case. Now, you're no longer, verse 5, you're no longer, your name is going to be Abram, which means exalted father, but your name is going to be Abraham. Abraham. What did he add to his name? He added that H that's in the name Yehoah. It's like a breath of God. I have, now, here's, here's the important thing about that. The breath of God. In, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is rach. In the New Testament, it's, it's, the, it's the word pneuma. And the word for breath is always the same word used for the spirit of God. And so what he adds to Abraham, Abram, the is that he is saying, I am adding myself. I'm making you a different person. Not because of what you have done, not because of what you can do, but because of what I can do through you. And I have chosen you. I want you to walk like you are chosen, but I'm going to do this work in you, and I'm going to call you by a new name. And the word Abraham means father of a multitude, not just an exalted father. He was already exalted because he'd had a son when he was 86 years old. That's pretty amazing. Matter of fact, that's one of the, I think that's one of the reasons that he wanted... Ishmael to be recognized by God and say, look, Ishmael is, is my pride, man. I walk down the street with my, with my little baby that, that I had part in producing, and everybody says, now that's a man, 86-year-old father. And I show it to people, look at him. You know who did this? I did this. So I think Ishmael is kind of his source of pride. He can't imagine anything being better, but at 100, he's going to have a new baby. But he's so human, just like us. And God says, there's more to you than just humanity. I'm going to accomplish some things in you. So you walk up right now. I'm changing your name so that you're not just an exalted father who's, who has accomplished something at 86. You are a father of multitude that begins at age 100. So he has a new name, the breath, the breath of God. And then he says, and there's a new sign that I want to give to you. I'm going to establish my covenant. Verse 7 says, I'm going to establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offsprings after you. God says, I'm, I'm blessing you and blessing the people that come from you. In the next verse, 
He says, and I'm also going to bless you and the land that is yours. Verse 8, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So he gave to Abraham and to his descendants this land. Now, it's contested, but that doesn't change who it belongs to. God says, I'm I'm blessing you. And here's a sign of that blessing and a sign of that covenant between me and you and your offspring. And he gave him the, the, the process of circumcision, the sign of circumcision. As for you, he says, it is a mark of obedience. It's a mark of obedience. Abraham was not saved by or or changed, brought into a relationship with God by circumcision. Because we start way before that, and it says, When Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him as righteousness. That was long before God said, I want you to be circumcised and all your folks to be circumcised. It's a picture of the commitment that's made. That's a pretty serious commitment, right, folks? A mark of separation. A mark of separation from from the other people of the world. Because these are God's chosen people. Do you know that that the Jews at this time were not, or the descendants of Abraham at this time, were not the only people who circumcised? The pagans did too. But God said, for you, it has a special meaning. For you, it is a sign, a reminder of this covenant that we have. And so, let me read you something from from the Apostle Paul in the, in the book of Romans about circumcision and how it relates to New Testament believers. In Romans chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse, verse 9. Is this the blessing? Is this the blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not, it was not after but before he was circumcised. His righteousness, righteous standing with God was before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. Remember? Abraham is the father of all the Arabs, all the Jews. And matter of fact, let's let's read on. Circumcised, uh, he received the sign after he had faith while he was still uncircumcised, to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, how do we know it didn't come through the law? Because Moses hadn't been born yet. There wasn't a law, a written law. For if it... if It is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and promise is void. God said, 
you're, you have this blessing, you have this covenant because of your faith. I count you righteous. For the law brings wrath, but where there's no law, there's no transgression. That's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offsprings, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That was Isaac, among other things. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarai's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Remember, he fell on his face. He didn't fall on his face because he was scared. He fell on his face because he was worshiping God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words... It was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, it's for us. This whole story, why did New Testament believers want to go back and, and, and study Genesis 17? Because it's about us. It's for those who put their trust in the faithfulness of God. And God will accomplish things in them. And God will have a relationship with them. So he has this new sign, the sign of circumcision. And then there's some other new names that, that show up. We'll skip on down to verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Now those two names are really close together. And a lot of times they're both translated as princes. But there are different kinds of princesses. Sarai is a princess in that she is the head over, over people. But Sarah is a princess that's, that's like a noble lady, blessed of God. And so again, the is added to her name because God is adding something to her, making her more than she was. She's not just a governing princess, but she's a high princess and the mother of kings, it goes on to say, because she shall become nations, kings of people shall come from her. Again, that's God doing that. That's not Sarah finding some, some new thing to take or some new thing to sniff so that she would be fertile, but God says, I want to bring my son through Sarah, your wife, Abraham. And then... One more new name, down in verse 19. God said, Sarah, Abraham says, how about Ishmael? Because is it possible that a child is going to be born of a man who's 100 years old? Maybe 83, but 100? Oh, please. Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? These are things that, that, that Abraham, Abraham is saying in his mind, saying in his heart to himself. And God said, and he said to God out loud, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No. Sarah, your wife, is going to bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means he laughed. Because Abraham is laughing about the possibility of a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman who's been barren forever to having a son. And God says, Yeah, you're going to have a son. You're going to be reminded of how ridiculous this seemed to you. 
as the story goes on, Sarah again is God visits them, visits them again, and, and says, "This time next year, when I come around, Sarah's going to have a son." And she laughs because it is so ridiculous. Some of the things that God does just don't make sense. They are not what people would call scientific. I don't believe in God. I only believe in science. Well, God is faithful. And God accomplishes things that that are beyond the imagination that would make us just laugh at the foolishness of them if it were not coming from God. Abraham said, how about Ishmael? And so what came to my mind was that great theologian Garth Brooks. (laughs) Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. Y'all know that song? You can look it up on YouTube. You probably need that in your resume. In your res- <laughs> what do you call that? Repertoire. And Abraham has to thank God for the unanswered prayer. How about Ishmael? And God says, that is not good enough. I'm bringing you Isaac from your beloved, beautiful wife, Sarah. And from your own body, Isaac. And I'm going to accomplish things in him that are unimaginable. That will be for eternity. God graciously said no. Sometimes God graciously says no to the things that we ask him for. And then we get down to verse 22. Verse 21 says, I'm going to accomplish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you. And verse 22 says, And when he finished talking with him... God went up from Abraham. God left. (laughs) It is so good to be this side of the cross, y'all. Because this side of the cross, Jesus said, as he was preparing to ascend, Matthew 28, 20, he said, I am with you always. See, God doesn't come and go. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then you always have access to God and God always has access to you because he says you become a new creation. And he says, I'll put my spirit in you. He, he told his disciples in, in the Gospel of John that, I'm now, that the spirit is now, or the, the comforter is now with you, but he will be in you. And I don't like the word comforter. I think a better, because of the, the English, comfort really means with Fortification. So I like to call the Holy Spirit not comforter because a lot of times that brings to mind, you know, curling up in bed and covering up and staying nice and cozy. I like the word fortifier because God living inside of us is a fortifier. He reminds us of who he is. When we read his word, he opens it to us and helps us understand it. When we have problems, he he comes to intercede with us. Jesus intercedes for us. He speaks to our heart. He is always there. He's never going up away from us like he did here in Abraham. 1 John 4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now that is the gospel, y'all. That is the New Testament good news, is that God can live in us, with us. He can make us new creations. And just like he counted Abraham righteous, when we put our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, having died on the cross to pay for our sin, he was the only perfect sacrifice that could be offered. And when Jesus, God in the flesh, laid down his, his life for us, And we put our trust in him. Again, God draws us to that. 
then we are counted righteous with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness that like Abraham had. New names. As a matter of fact, being new creations. And the book of Revelation says that those of us who put their trust in Christ are going to have new names. Now, what's that name going to include? I guarantee it's going to have some H's in it. Because it's all about the breath of God being in those who put their trust in Him. Who walk before Him. And to us, He says, walk upright, y'all. You're not saved by that, but because you are saved, you can. You are freed from slavery to sin. That doesn't mean we never mess up. Oh, goodness gracious. There are times when I drive a car in Ahihik, and my attitude is not 100% pure. (laughs) But I can tell you, that does not condemn me because I'm a new creation, and I have been counted righteous by God through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the old stuff and the new stuff. We thank you that, that you haven't stopped working in us and working through people so that today we're not just looking back at, at written history and seeing how you move, but we can look right next to us and in our own lives and see how you move. Father, I pray for those who have yet to come to know you. They maybe have heard about you, but they've never come to know you. And you call to them like you called to Abraham when he was in the land of the Chaldeans. And Lord, I pray that even wherever people are dwelling, when they hear your voice, hear your call, they would be obedient to come to you and see what you can do in their lives. That they would learn about you. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are laboring or heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Father, I pray for rest for each person who's here. No more struggling to, to accomplish what they hope will satisfy you, what they hope will will give them a a good life here and a good life in eternity. But I pray that they would know you, that you'd speak to their heart. They would just be obedient to your call and come to know you and pray a prayer something like this. I know that I need a Savior. I'm a sinner. My Bible tells me that. My life tells me that. And I believe that that your word is true that says I can come to you and, and know you and have a relationship with you, the creator God, through Jesus Christ who paid for my sin. And you will count me righteous. And so I put my trust in you and I pray for your glory in my life. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.